Welcome to the Raptor Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network. Make sure you find the Raptor Show wherever you listen to podcasts and subscribe and please rate and review the show. Reminder, we're streaming live on Sportsnet's YouTube channel, airing live on Sportsnet 360, Monday to Friday from 2 to 3 p.m. I'm your host, Wayne Liu, and for the first half of the show, I am joined on the line by Coach David Thorpe of True Hoop. Coach, how you doing? I'm great. How are you? I'm doing well. I'm doing well. And, um, you know, Coach, as we bring you on every single time, we're going we're gonna to talk about uh, two subjects. I think listeners to the show already know what we're going to talk about. Uh, and we'll start with Pascal, who obviously is having a, a phenomenal season. Obviously, I saw the first returns for the, you know, all-star voting and stuff like that. Look, listen, I don't think Pascal was going to win a popularity contest, especially with the season not going necessarily the way uh, – people want in Toronto. However, I think we can all agree that he is going to make this all-star team. He's very deserving, even though the competition in the East is very, very strong in terms of forwards and the, you know, in the all-star sort of consideration, but Pascal's got to be on the all-star team. Can we at least start there? Oh, I don't think there's any question. I've not spoken to a single knowledgeable or expert person in the NBA that doesn't think he's a definite all-star. So honestly, I don't, I can't imagine a scenario where he would make the all-star team. I mean, he's, he's up for all NBA. We're, we're 41 games to go on that, but he's in the running. So all-star should be a cinch. Yeah. And really the only thing that you would say um, that isn't in his favor right now is just the Raptors being a losing record right now. But we all know that that really has very little to do with what Pascal has been doing. In fact, I, I, I sometimes I, I, I wonder if Pascal wasn't here uh, how this team or this franchise would fare. Um, so coach, I was listening to uh, true hoop, you know, one of my top podcasts of the year. Um, and, you know, the episode you guys did, the last one of 2022, um, you know, you and Gerard were talking about Pascal Siakam after he dropped 52 at MSG. And the quote that you said kind of really, you know, struck me was that, you know, you said that you, you kind of got to, you know, cross paths with Pascal over the summer. And then you, you said to him that, you know, you didn't realize that you were Kevin Durant because you didn't grow up in America. And I thought that I was like, wow, okay, first off, that is obviously a very, very complimentary thing to say. Um, but second of all, I, I guess it got me thinking about his career development path. And so I wanted to sort of hear what you meant by that statement uh, and also sort of like how he can continue to sort of, you know, swing upwards in his trajectory. Because even though he's, you know, 28, 29-ish, like, you know, a lot of players sort of peak at this time, it still feels very much like Pascal still has more runway to go. Why is that? Okay, well, I grew up in Florida, which is a football state. And um, so, you know, most players early on in their athletic lives, we, we see the, the kind of athlete they, they look like they are going to be or maybe already are. And they just kind of get plugged into different spots on, on a football field. Uh, and then they – well, back when I was, when I was first coaching in the, in the late 80s, um, you – you would realize, okay, this this guy keeps growing. <laughs> Football becomes a tough sport. It, you know, Pascal probably would have been an amazing wide receiver had he stopped growing at six four. He's so fast and fluid with amazing hands and agility and change of direction and stopping and starting. These are all very, very, very important things to do as a wide receiver, even a quarterback at six four, six five. Uh, but in when I was growing up as a coach. Uh, as they kept growing, you started saying, okay, they, they need to specialize in basketball. And then uh, that might be when they're 14, 15, 13, you start realizing, all right, this guy's, you know, really a talented player. And you just start projecting that path and get it back then. It was different than it is now with AAU. But nowadays, even, even in Pascal's age, 
had he been, you know, 17 in America, he would have been seen as Kentucky, North Carolina, Duke with his intelligence, you know, Duke recruits those kind of players. He was just going to be that kind of guy. You could just, you could just see what he was going to grow into. And I think because of that, these players uh, develop a swagger that maybe they shouldn't even necessarily have because maybe they haven't been so productive at that point in their career, but that swagger helps get them through the rough spots that is development for that is part of the development for any athlete. And I think in Pascal's case, because of where he grew up and how late he came to America and where he went to college, you know, not like anyone would probably most people don't even know where New Mexico state is uh, in terms of what city it, it, they play their games in. Um, yeah, I have no clue. Yeah. It's just, it's just a different path for him. And I don't think he just ever realized that, that he's supposed to be, uh, you know, in the running among the best players in the world. Six, I say this about Durant all the time, and Durant's probably taller than, than Pascal. He's, you know, probably seven feet tall. Uh, but what makes him super special beyond just his skill as a shooter is his, his as, as agility and athleticism and overall skill as a basketball player and feel for the game. Uh, you just don't see seven-footers move like he moves. And Pascal is the same at 6'10 or whatever he is. And as long as he is this... This guy would, if you gave Pascal the same talent at six foot four that he has at six ten, he'd probably would have been an All American guard anyway. Maybe, you know, those guys don't always make the NBA, but he would have had a real shot, same as KD, because they're such freak athletes. And then, I, I know William, you've heard me talk about uh, these these basketball players that play speed chess. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. He's he's one of those guys that plays speed chess, and then as he's ex got experience, he's played more real. Uh, uh, three-dimensional chess where you're just seeing moves both instantaneously and then three, four moves down the way a little bit. That that speed chess is the pattern recognition and quick reaction that gets them out of trouble so often or finds open creases that another player who may look like Pascal gets himself in trouble all the time and uh, where they just don't process as fast. That doesn't mean they're not smart. They just don't process as fast. These guys have brilliant fast processors and and so I just think that in our country, because soccer is where it, it ranks where it ranks, uh, way behind sports like football and basketball, Pascal would have been seen as the next guy uh, uh, much more likely than, than he was coming from Cameroon. Yeah, and, and one of the stories I heard there just um, about Pascal, especially when he played at New Mexico State, which, yeah, good point. I have no idea what city that is or what's, <laughs> where that's located. Um, other than just in the general state. But um, the story I heard there was that I think only like maybe two NBA teams came out to actually scout him in person. And of course, he went through the whole scouting process and you go through team workouts. But we're talking about like people coming to your conference and watching your games in person. That's how sort of under the radar it is. And that's kind of why it's been so amazing watching him sort of take this step this season. If there's been one positive with the Raptors, it's been Pascal, him taking this step forward. And I almost want to look at it in the sense that, you know, we've kind of talked this storyline about Pascal and his improvements this season. And it was almost to me, not refreshing, but from a content perspective, it was more interesting to watch him struggle a couple of games recently where he had two games back to back against, you know, uh, Milwaukee and against um, uh, New York where he had only four field goals made. Uh, he had another game uh, recently where he played Memphis and I thought Dylan Brooks gave him a lot of trouble. And I thought it was actually interesting in terms of thinking about how he can continue to improve looking at some of the games where he's relatively struggled, because really he's just 
played between like B plus to A plus and like all the other games, those three in particular games and just thinking about sort of how defenses have somehow succeeded in guarding Pascal. So like, let, let's say you're an opposing coach and you're looking at all this film and all that sort of stuff. And you're looking at Pascal in particular, he's got to be the number one item you ought to scout for when you're playing the Raptors. How would you stop Pascal? What are some of the remaining weaknesses or some of the ways that you can try to speed him up or at least get him in trouble? Well, before I answer that, it's a good question that I have an answer to. Um, I mean, let me first address uh, just a real good way of looking at things. Uh, to your point about how he's had three games or so where he was subpar, uh, I always say, and I've written this, that uh, great players tend to play great. You know, elite players tend to play elite. Good players tend to play good. Average players tend to play average. Bad players tend to play badly. But all of them, over the course of an 82-game season, have a game or two or three in every other category. Mm-hmm. You've got the world's best players will just play badly. Uh, you go look up Steph Curry's game log if you don't believe me. Uh, it's the same for everybody. There's no such thing as always playing at the same level. You live in every category, uh, but that 10 to is which what I was saying is normally if you spend most of your time as an elite player, well, you're going to be an elite player. If mm-hmm. you spend most of your time as a good player, but you have a couple of elite games, you're just a good player with a couple of great games. Great. Uh, that's not how you're defined. Right. Uh, and the data normally su- always, always will support that. So, yeah, no surprise at all that Pascal has a couple of bad games. Everyone does. Bad players have a lot of them. Great players have just a few. Uh, as, to, as to your question, the first thing I would do, you can't let him get comfortable. He's gotten so much better. You know, everyone talks about, you know, getting to your spots. Well, most experienced players, as opposed to rookies and young players, they know their spots. They just don't always hunt them ferociously. And I think the game's best players, I don't know if you saw, William, the screenshot of the faces of the the player leading the league in scoring from, like, every zone on the court. Have you seen mm. this recently? Yep, yep. So, so you know what I call the second box is that area in the middle of the floor from eight feet to the 15-foot line. Mm-hmm. So if you imagine that as an arc in the same exact dimensions as the three-point line, except it's eight to 15 feet, do you know what player dominates every single zone in that 18, 50, eight to 15-foot mark baseline to baseline? I mean, imagining Kevin Durant, maybe DeMar right. DeRozan, that kind of Every thing. one of them, Kevin Durant. Yeah, DeRozan, I think, might be a little above that in one spot. Sure. Uh, yeah, at the paint, is, I, I think, if I remember, the rim was, was, Gian, was Giannis. Uh, I think left corner was Devin Vassell. Durant is all of the spots <laughs> from 8 to 15. <laughs> yeah. yeah. He, he, so he's lucky. He doesn't have just a spot. He has spots, uh, plural, and he relentlessly attacks them, which is why... He leads the league in scoring from every one of those zones. That, that's a very, very experienced professional scorer. Pascal is, is still learning that. Uh, clearly, this year, he's doing better than ever before at getting to those areas of which he's at his best and then play from there. Mm-hmm. I think that's one reason why his assist numbers are up uh, is you just have to send help to get there. So, so as a defensive player and as a defensive you know, a strategist, you want to disrupt his relentless hunt for his best spots. Uh, I happen to like, and you've already referenced it, as someone who gets a chance to coach a lot of players, both in season and off season, uh, kind of privately. I, I would not let Pascal get a rhythm when he hunts, hunts those spots. And mm-hmm. so, if I had a very quick, strong guard, I'd, I'd sick him on the six ten 
ball handling, playmaking score. Because even though I may not be able to steal it from him, which I, I might get a steal or two, I can disrupt his rhythm, make him uncomfortable. Most players don't like being guarded by smaller, quicker, stronger guys. He's stronger on the floor anyway. Uh, I listened to a podcast this morning raving about uh, uh, Davion Mitchell from Sacramento uh, uh, being the kind of defensive player we all thought he could be when he came out of Baylor. Mm-hmm. Talk about a strong, quick, uh, an aggressive defender. Dylan Brooks is in the same mold yeah. and not as small. So those guys make it uncomfortable. You know, you may rem- you probably remember Jameer Nelson. I know you know Chris Paul. Uh, Kyle Lowry, I know you know well. Try posting those guys up. Yeah. They don't, they're the low to the ground. They bump you off your space. If you bring the ball habitually as part of your regular routine, if you tend to drop the ball a little lower than you probably should, a lot of guys may let you do it. Those guys won't. They're going to grab it from you because they know they have no shot if you don't do that. Right. If you drop it, it's theirs, or at least they're going to disrupt you again. Hit the ball, get a deflection, get a jump ball. And so you, you got to get under Pascal's skin a little bit, like an elephant around a mouse. Make him uncomfortable. Where, where does he put his foot? Where do you put his dribble? Uh, you, I think you got to pick him up early. Uh, I also would – I'd make him think about whether or not we're really going to commit help. He – he doesn't honestly. I don't think he loves to score. He likes to score. He'd rather just win. Mm-hmm. I think he'd rather just make the right play. And so, if you if you telegraph that you're not helping, and you're going to stay home on shooters, uh, uh, he can score in a way maybe Ricky Rubio struggled with, because that's how you had to play Ricky Rubio is just mm-hmm. don't let him pass the ball because he doesn't want to score. Uh, I'd make Pascal think, am I coming? Am I not coming? Where am I coming from? Right. I'm not sure I'd be successful in that. He's a fast processor, but at least I would try to disrupt his rhythm, his timing, and make him unsure that that we're going to definitely commit to not letting him get a great shot and make him be a passer. And then sometimes actually don't let him pass, make him shoot, and he might be thinking pass. It, it may not work, but again, the whole idea is just kind of disrupt his thinking a little bit. Yeah, no, I think that's that's a really great review, and I think – it's interesting you brought up Dylan Brooks. I think out of everybody who has played Pascal this season and have obviously watched and covered all 30 of his games, I thought Dylan Brooks did the best job at it with Memphis. Obviously, he had tons of help with Steven Adams and Jaron Jackson Jr. just waiting at yeah. the rim. But yeah. I think Dylan Brooks did exactly what you mentioned, like got up really close, dug up almost under him in a way, yeah. made it really uncomfortable for him to face up in particular. And I feel like the with Pascal this year, him facing up has been a lot stronger than before because before he would obviously – obviously really strongly prioritized the basket, which obviously he's good at, but we've seen this season where he's able to get into that eight to 15 foot range, the fadeaway jumpers. I thought he hit a couple of those against Portland. And, you know, if he faces up and he's able to sort of get to one of his two spots, it's, it's really, really easy for him to get a shot off cleanly. Even if there is help defenders at the basket, they don't even matter if he's shooting, you know, pulling up before that point, but that's where Dylan Brooks is able to really be successful. I mean, look, it's been interesting because we're talking about a guy who's now in that, like, really elite class, right? We're talking about him as, like, a guy who could make his third All-NBA team in the last four seasons, right? And and so for players like that, it's really hard to find small gaps in their games. But I think with Pascal, too, there's an interest in him continuing to want to close down those gaps and make himself even better, which is the, which is the coolest part, I think, for me. Just, like, when you think about, like, the Raptors potentially making moves at the deadline— Absolutely no, in, in no scenario do you even think about, you know, moving Pascal for me personally. This is the guy I want to commit the franchise to. Are you asking me, do I think the Toronto should think about pivoting off of him and maybe just going younger? 
No, no, I, I really don't think so. I, I, I mean, I, I doubt. Is that the direction you think that they should move in? Because for me, I, I, I just wouldn't do that. I mean, what? Why? Why do you tank? You to draft to Pascal Siakam. Exactly. And if you don't get Pascal Siakam's, you don't get a top four pick. I realize where he went in the draft, but mm-hmm. he should have gone top five or top three, whatever the draft was that year. Well, if you redraft uh, the class, you don't get he's, that. He's in contention for the first guy. Like it's like him, Jalen right. Brown. Brandon Ingram, right. Ben so, Simmons. But if you don't get you that, know. well, then you're hoping to get like an OG. Well, you have an OG. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And 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 if you're in between 10, 11, 12, 13, and top three, well, then you're hoping to get a Scotty. Well, you got him too. So why would you start over? Make it, it, it Literally, it's a non-starter for me. They they have that nucleus, and they're just going to have to figure it out because mm-hmm. you're, you, I feel this way about Utah. Everyone is raving about the, what Utah did. I, I'm not. I, I, if, if indeed you knew Donovan Mitchell wasn't going to stay beyond, uh, you know, once his contract was up, that's different. Uh, then I understand it to some degree. And maybe that was always the case. And I wasn't aware of that, but you see what he's doing in Cleveland. You see what, um, we know what kind of player Rudy Gobert is. McDonovich mm-hmm. in Detroit, like they, Mike Conley's still terrific. They, they, they broke it apart and maybe they'll draft some really good players to be as good as they were a couple of years ago. I don't know. The odds aren't great. So I feel like Toronto's got what they need to build. They just got to figure it out now. Yeah. And that's that, that's where we got to talk about the other two pieces where I truly think if Scotty was playing at his very best and if Fred was playing on his very best, this season looks entirely different for Toronto. We're, we're having an entirely different conversation day in and day out. However, we're having these two conversations. And and I think with Scotty, the, the trend recently is so Nick has put him back as sort of the, the center for the starting group. Now, obviously, he's not a traditional center in terms of he's not backing guys down and, and exclusively playing in the paint. He has the ball quite a bit. He's able to distribute quite a bit. But it's been interesting to me watching how opponents have responded to Scotty playing center because they obviously have centers on the floor. However, what they're doing with their centers is playing a very aggressive drop-back coverage, essentially a one-man zone in the paint, allowing Scotty to do whatever he wants on the perimeter, um, but essentially shutting off the paint for, for other players. Now, my question to you, Coach, is like, first off, like mentality-wise, how does – I don't know if you ever worked with a player before where, the you know, coaches have treated them in this way uh, when they're not a big man. And sort of how does that sort of affect sort of um, their approach to the game? Is it almost like a – is it almost like playing mind games in a way when they're sort of disrespecting you and daring you to shoot so hard? I mean, it's – it's uh, it can be – it can be – you can get angry from it. Uh, the, my very first client in the NBA I ever had was as uh, Udonis, and back then Udonis wasn't a shooter. And in uh, the very first game or second game of the year, Zach Randolph didn't guard him outside of five feet, and it really freaked Ud out. And he and he couldn't make a shot the whole game. Hmm. More importantly than that, he this was this was not his first year; it was his second year when they got Shaq. He they did a lot of high low action from high post. Udonis is a great passer. If there's a reason why he lasted 20 years, he's got a brilliant basketball brain too. So he was an amazing high-low feeder to Shaq, who also was amazing at making those plays. And But you can't do it when Zach Randolph wasn't guarding him. Zebo wasn't guarding him. And, you, and so you couldn't feed the, the seal that Shaq would set. And he called me all freaked out about it. And whatever, I said whatever I said. And the next night he had like a career high in Atlanta who did the exact same thing. Uh, but UD had really worked on his shot. I don't, I don't know that Scotty has. I don't have any idea what he's been doing. I, I know he's not making shots well. Um, uh, but I think, and again, I, I've never met Scotty. We, you know, we have a mutual friend of my son and the people he coached 
he coached him in Florida State, but we're not friends. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, but if I knew him and worked with him, I would be pounding the idea of you've got to get more comfortable in the second box. Mm. You're, you're, if they want to drop to the rim, I think he's shooting 32% from 10 to 16 feet. Much of that is from the paint, which is great to get to the paint. He's just, he's not, he's making three and 10. You, you should be up five plus and 10 and draw some fouls because he at the rim, he's, he's nearly 70%, a yeah, yeah. little bit worse than last year, but still good. Uh, you gotta, you gotta draw those bigs up a little bit and that opens it up for everybody else. Um, and it's just a matter of practicing. I think he can do it. He's got, he's got a floater. He's got a little jumper. I loved, I loved it in college. The rare, the few times he actually pulled up in the second box and made me so happy. He just so rarely did it, but I thought he would do it a lot more as a pro he did as a rookie and, and just isn't quite doing it the same. He didn't do it a ton. I think 10% of his shots last year were, um, you know, basically second box jumpers this year. It's less than 10%. Um, but, uh, he, he, he doesn't have that same confidence. I don't think uh, understandably. So he's not shooting it well, mm -hmm. but that's where you start it, it, to, to get moving again, you, you know, to get running, you got to start walking and to get walking, you got to start crawling. So you got to find ways to make easy shots, make the game easier, not harder. And then you build from there. That, that's what I always try to do anyway. Yeah, no, I think that makes sense. And I think that, you know, as compared to launching a lot of threes, which obviously I think a lot of them are just like, he's looking for a dribble handoff and the guys aren't open. And then he maybe turns around and he's like, okay, the guy's in the paint. I might as well shoot this three. Like, I, I do feel like those kind of shots don't really help or even just benefit even the rhythm of the game. Whereas I do think that that mid-range idea makes a lot more sense. I, I think, you know, right now, if because obviously, look, Nick is trying to be practical, right? Maybe long-term, this is not the ideal role for Scotty to play being sort of at the five position, but at the same time, I think he's trying to be practical. Which is, which way can you really get him most productive and most engaged for tomorrow rather than for a month from now or even like next season? Um, and so when you're thinking about Nick and sort of the ways that a coach can use a player like that or at least attack that kind of coverage, what are the kind of things that um, the Raptors can call for Scotty in which he can sort of not necessarily score for himself but, or but just – helping the Raptors as a whole score against an aggressive drop coverage like that? Well, you got to pair them with your best shooter off the move and play them like Clay and Curry does with Draymond and Looney, who don't shoot. Neither of those guys shoot, the big guys. And so if you want to drop on Scotty, he's able to do a handoff action with one of those shooters like Gary Trent, as mm -hmm. an example, and Fred, if Fred was shooting well. And, and now Scotty's a big, strong guy. He'll set a good screen. Those players will get some separation, getting the ball from Scotty and using that screen on their guy. And if that big is dropping, they're going to be wide open to shoot. So, so it's it's why we call we call at True Hoop we call the Raptors. I'm sorry, the Warriors offense, the Cuisinart. Mm -hmm. I don't know what we call the Raptors offense, but it, it wouldn't <laughs> be something they'd sell for a lot of money in stores right now. But it might the be the mortar and pestle, man. <laughs> yeah, the Cuisinart is a beautiful thing, uh -huh. but it really can work because. You have to guard the non-shooters or they'll screen you to death for those jumpers from right. those great shooters. And, uh, and now, so everyone has gravity because of it, right? So Curry's gravity is almost uh, by osmosis connected to Draymond or Kavan's gravity because of the shooting ability he has and their willingness to find, you know, their shooters. So I think you got to do the same thing with Scotty is, and I, I'm not saying I don't really watch Toronto very much because they're not relevant. I tend to watch the relevant teams that, I just only have one small little brain and I can't process every single team as well as I need to process 
the teams that have a chance to actually do something. And right now, you know, Toronto's a long way from showing, like I watch the Lakers a lot more because I still think there's a possibility there for them. I've been saying that all along and I look pretty stupid and then they won five in a row and maybe I still look stupid, but I still think there's a future for them this year. So, but you got to do that. You got to get Scotty as that handoff guy. And then you drain enough jumpers, your teammate does anyway. Now you start lifting that big up. Mm-hmm. Well, Scotty now can fake handoff and attack and have a rim that's open. And it opens it up for everybody else either. I mean, no one wants to attack the rim with a seven footer standing there. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah, no, and um, it's, yeah, it's funny you mentioned the Lakers too because uh, I've just been watching them a bit here and there. Obviously, they're on TV a lot. And I'm looking at Thomas Bryant and I'm just like, you know, this guy was available and uh, the Raptors could have probably signed him at center and uh, would have made a lot of sense. And I'm not saying that that would have changed the Raptors season entirely or anything like that, but I like that kid. You know, I, I think he's... Well, he's you, no, you could say that. Uh, uh, I would tell you that I think the exact same thing. Yeah. And... There's more than a few teams that that just have no vision or or they just it makes no sense to me, William. I'll just say this. When when Clay Thompson and KD and some of these other guys have their devastating injuries, but they're already max players, and then they sign new max deals, even knowing that they are, still have to have the surgery, uh, uh, we all understand it because you're you're you think they're gonna be okay. A guy like Thomas goes down with an ACL tear, he was killing it. Scoring 20, getting double the same thing he's doing now. Mm-hmm. He was doing for the Wizards, even when Beal was out. Then he has the ACL. He comes back last year. He's just starting to get going, and they traded for Porzingis. Understandably so. Yeah. KP, you know, they didn't like him in Dallas. So that Thomas, therefore, didn't play much, but it wasn't like anything was wrong with him. And he has, I mean, he did have some value. They they took I talked to his agent. They took a uh he has the same agent as Pascal. They took a smaller deal in LA. Number one, Thomas has a home there. Number two, they they gambled that that he would have kind of a breakout season and all the spotlight that the Lakers drive and it was looked so far anyway it looked like it was a smart gamble he's oh yeah I mean I I've talked to some teams who have a lot of money to spend on a player like Thomas Bryant who gives you a double double almost every night and has some monster games and he would look very good in a Raptors uniform because he's a paint scorer he's a defensive rebounding machine brings a ton of energy and I think that's what Toronto really is missing is Pascal has to work so hard to get shots for everybody and himself mm-hmm. because of the position he plays to have a guy that's just a bucket getter. I mean, LeBron looks for Thomas Bryant all the time and, and, and gets assists because of it. I think Pascal would enjoy having a teammate like that too. Yeah. I mean, he's averaging, yeah, 13 and 13 and seven. I mean, but my point is I was just watching him and I was thinking about, I think um, the, the hoop collective podcast with Brian Windhorse is talking to, uh, David McMenamin about just the Lakers and they were bringing up Thomas Bryant and I was like yeah he has been playing well and then I looked up his stats for the first time and he's shooting 67% from the field and I was like this guy's making the minimum like I mean I wonder if like the yeah. Raptors hypothetically if they took that money that they gave to Otto Porter which was like the mini mid-level and they gave it to him instead I mean look listen obviously you can take a gamble in LA but at yep. the same time when you're talking about you give him four times as much money and that's not even that much money you right. give it to, 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 to Thomas instead. anyway whatever the, I'm sure these are kind of micro decisions um, you know, last thing, coach, I wanted to, to hear from you is just, um, so Fred Van Vliet's also been struggling with the shot, right? That's the other yeah. reason why the Raptors have not performed as well. It's actually right. interesting. Cause I was looking at the stats and like my thinking about it, cause you keep getting, you keep getting bombarded with the idea that Fred Van Vliet has like one of the worst shooting percentages in the league for a guy who shoots 15 shots a game. And then it kind of sticks with you. Like, Oh, he must have like a horrible true shooting percentage. And it's not high. Like 52%, like 52.5% is not high. 
It's below yeah. league average, but it's actually not the, even the worst on the Raptors in terms of just starters alone. Actually, Scotty has a slightly lower true shooting. But I think with Fred, too, it's just his three-point percentage just needs to be a lot higher for the Raptors to, to win, right? Because you have all these forwards, and they create all these advantages, and then you kick out, and the Raptors just haven't been able to make enough of those kickouts. And that's, that's Fred, most importantly, but that's also OG. That's also Gary. That's also other guys on the team who's supposed to be shooting well. When Fred has been asked about this, he sort of talked about how, you know, a role change for him has sort of led to him feeling less rhythm with the ball. And specifically last year, he was the primary ball handler. He made all-star. Um, and this year, his role changed, essentially. And, and the team was asking, essentially, we're going to give Scotty more reps. We're going to give OG more reps. Obviously, Pascal's going to do what he's going to do. So you're going to have to sort of facilitate around that and sort of catch and shoot more. Coach, I, I do wonder, like, when a player sort of talks about the rhythm in terms of how that affects shots, I think for fans, and myself included, I, I'm very confused in terms of, like, what that actually means. So can you try to maybe explain a little bit in terms of what rhythm does in terms of impacting shooting percentages? Oh, yeah. I'm happy to do it. It's something I deal with all the time. As to, to, I think this, this quick story will help you a little bit. I was talking to a, a very, very good guard uh, who starts for, his, for one of the better teams in the NBA, and he's used to having the ball in his hands a lot. The way the team is currently playing, it's not in his hands very much. And I, I told him I noticed in a second half of the game recently, he didn't look that confident dribbling the ball. This guy's a maybe not an elite ball handler, but close to elite. He's just young, but he's going to be an elite ball handler. Mm -hmm. And I said, does it just feel weird to you because you touch it so little? And he said, it really does. I feel it feels like I've never dribbled before in my life when I go through such long stretches without a dribble. So I, I suggested to him at halftime, don't shoot so much, dribble more. I said, even when you come out of games, mm -hmm. grab a ball and go in the tunnel and do some dribbling. Whatever you have to do to keep connection, it's weird. A lot of these players, some players, it doesn't matter. And as you get older, you get more comfortable being able to shoot great without any touches. Mike Miller is, tells a famous story as he would go to heat practice and he would just sit on the sidelines, watch practice, and then he'd suddenly jump in and immediately get some shots up as part of this practice, go sit back down, dry as hell, come back in 20 minutes later, get a couple of shots mm -hmm. up in the, in, the, in the actual heat of the action because that's what it looked like in games for him. And so that's really what Fred needs to practice. It is it, – it, some players just have to have that feel, and you, so you've got to recreate that as best you can. And then also you'll see some guys, they want to get that extra shot after the whistle blows, or some guys like to grab the ball before a free throw if they haven't touched it in a while. Some guys just need that biofeedback in a sense of what that ball feels like in their hands, and especially if you're used to it, mm. like like Freddie is. So I actually think he'll figure it out. I do. He's not that far away from from being where he was last year. It's not like he's yeah. an elite shooter. He's a very good shooter. I, I if you look at how Toronto is going to finish the year as a with a winning record, one of those answers will be, well, Freddie's going to get much better or back to what he was, and it wouldn't surprise me. So I, I still think he's got a chance at it. Yeah, no, it's. That's the funny thing with him because I, I think, you know, there are other things you can sort of pick out with the players. And I think I think with Fred, too, it's just like he's not an ideal player, right? There are other things that you can sort of immediately say. Obviously, he's shorter. He's smaller. Everybody on the Raptors is a forward, essentially. You know, there's all sorts of stuff. But when you look at his overall numbers, like he's shooting, what, 33% from three this season. His career norm is about 38%. Even if he just gets to that career norm uh, of shooting his three-point shots, that's going to bring his overall field goal percentage back you know, around 40, which isn't high, but we know that his role is essentially jack a bunch of threes and, you know, take the occasional layup here or there or the mid-range jumper. But, like, it's actually going to normalize. And th the thing that he's also continues to say is that, like, look, 
you know, my stats are going to look normal at the end of the year. Right now, they're a little down. But even in the last month or so, we're seeing positive signs from him. Yeah. I think the, the thing with him, too, is just like, you know, thinking long term in terms of like who's going to be the point guard here. Obviously, Pascal's going to be a point forward. He's going to have the most touches. Absolutely. I don't think there's a player. I think even if Scotty really took like two or three leaps in his development, he would still need more to get to where Pascal is. But oh, yeah. ultimately, like who is going to be the number two guy on the Raptors if they really get back to being a really competitive team? And is that guy on the roster right now or is it is it, or are they not? Because if they're not, then, of course, then you got to think about making other moves. But I'm curious to think where you are with that coach. There was the year the Boston Celtics won their most recent championship. They had KJ Ray Allen and Paul Pierce, and they what they all three were asked during the playoffs, who needs to take the who needs to get the winning shot in a, in a big game, and uh, Pierce and KG pointed to Ray Allen, and Ray Allen pointed to Paul Pierce, and in that that in that finals, the final run in the playoffs, each of them was an MVP in one of the series, as I've covered every series for ESPN. Mm-hmm. My point is, it doesn't really matter. It, you just have to have guys that can do it. Gary Trent can score 30 points in a playoff game. Scotty Barnes, when he's right, can do the same thing. Yep. We know Siakam is. We know Freddie can do it. Uh, uh, OG is, I think, coming as a scorer. He's not there yet. Uh, I think it's got to be based on what, what the defense is giving, what, what, they, what you can take, not just what they're giving, but what you can take in terms of matchup. But that all means people are operating on a, on a high-level cylinder most games. And as opposed to just one guy, maybe one and a half, if you want to call it, if you think OG is playing, you know, really well offensively, um, you've you've got to have all these guys operating really cooking so that when a defense says, okay, we can't we can't let Scotty keep scoring in the paint like he did that one game that that he forced overtime with that great fourth quarter mm-hmm. against uh, I think it was Milwaukee. Yep. Uh, if he did that every game, he would look like he's the number two until you decide to send a second guy down there. He's a great passer. Now someone else is scoring. Right. They they have the. I mean, they they need some more players, and their bench stinks apparently. Um, oh, it's, it's need, coach. It's they, bad. It's seven yeah. points a game, like on a regular basis. Yeah, it's terrible. And they need a center, I think. Um, but the the pieces are there, and you you, you got to figure out a system offensively. I love what they do in the full court. It's my one of my favorite teams for for the way they defend and attack everything, and they come at you in waves with their length and athleticism. I think it's a really exciting way to play. It's how I would coach a team typically mm. if I could put a Rossiello like that. But uh, they, they they haven't figured out in the half court, and they need to. There's, there's options. They just got to figure out what to do from the coaches and the players, and then you're going to have an argument as to who the second-best player is. And when you have that argument and there are legit arguments for two or three guys, well, that's when Toronto is going to be the team I thought they'd be to start the year. Right, right. Yeah, you know what? That's a good reminder, too, because they're, they're not that far away. They're just playing really badly. So, I, you know, if they do keep the team together, that will be the reason why. But, uh, Coach, uh, we've taken up a lot of your time, so I want to say thank you. And, um, yeah, go subscribe to Drew Hoop if you haven't already. It's a great little subscription that you can get all of David Thorpe's writing and the podcasts and all the other stuff, you know, the film breakdowns, stuff like that. You know, lots of great content. I really can't recommend it enough. Thanks, William. Have a good day. All right, you too. Okay, we're going to take a quick break. I've been your host, Will Lou, and you've been listening to The Raptors Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network. Have you checked out Bet Rivers yet? Download the Bet Rivers online casino and sportsbook app today. Get in the action this basketball season with thousands of betting options. Plus, don't forget about Bet Rivers' sportsbook award winning customer service. 
It's a whole new game with Bet Rivers Online Casino and Sportsbook. Must be 19 plus. Available in Ontario only. Please play responsibly. If you have questions or concerns about your gambling or someone close to you, please contact Connext Ontario at 1-866-531-2600 to speak to an advisor free of charge. Big guests and bigger opinions on everything happening in Leafsland. Real Kipper and Born. Be sure to subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to the Raptor Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network. I'm your host, Wim Lu. Uh, for the second segment, I'm Joe, my producer and co-host, Alex Wong, who I managed to find here at uh, OMP. Just chilling, listening to the show. Where, where do you listen to the show when you're uh, when you're not actually on the show? Just in the in that bunker where we hang out, you know. No, I mean like what what platform? Like oh, uh, 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 player dot uh, sportsnet radio, I okay. believe yeah, yeah. ca. That's the OG way, man. Yeah, yeah. I don't. Why you expect me to pull I up the to YouTube listen, feed? No, I used to listen to Jay's talk on that on that feed on that little player there. Yeah, it was cool. I realized I was like three minutes behind. That's why I had to come get you. (laughs) (laughs) I literally had to leave the studio during the five-minute break to find you, but it's all good, obviously. You know, you've been prepping. Um, I know you've had a long day already. Um, You and I both did morning radio hits. Yeah, we did the radio tour for for Mr. Rogers. Yeah. um, (laughs) For me, personally, I I did the the morning show with friends of the program, Ailish and Justin. Yeah. And um, I, I woke up at... Cause look, listen, I work nights, okay. So it's, it's no, there's no shame in my game that I wake up it's kind later of than like eight. He usually. does the 11 p.m. shift at Shoppers. Or I something. do. I, I, I work nights. You what, do work nights. What do you nights. think the React Pod gets recorded? What do this, you think the, the I get home I t- at like 12:30? Okay? That's why I tell you to move downtown, man. Fair enough. Show some marks about. I do, I do, I do yeah. a little, a little farther away, yeah. but um, you know, I set an alarm for like 7:55 to be on the program. Is that normal for you to wake up at that? Yeah, time? Yeah, like I usually give myself 10 minutes. You know, wake up, drink some water, like you know. <laughs> Count to ten, you know, just so the first words I say aren't "hello" and "welcome." Yeah. yeah. Um, and embarrassingly, mm. my alarm, my secondary alarm went off. Oh, <laughs> during, during the, the thing. Yeah. Oh, okay. So it was tough, and I had to tell them. Uh, and Cuthbert and Ellis who wake up probably, I would assume, late as five a.m. each morning. To do yeah, the show. they wake up when I go to sleep. It's wild. Yeah. So you know, it was it was a little tough to be like, oh, sorry, that's my morning alarm. I know every time I can't see their reaction, but I just know their reaction is just like, yeah, it's very, what un- are you it's doing? very unprofessional, you know. No, I got a little dilemma you also, too. You also did the morning. Hit yeah, even before morning. that. So I, I, you know, I'm 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 pr- I'm taping something for for Donovan Bennett's show okay. tomorrow. Nice, nice. At nine thirty in the morning. Yep. And it's gonna be remote, like from my condo. And I just got a notification that that's going to be the monthly fire alarm mm. inspection, which means it's going to randomly go off between 9 a.m. to 9 p.m. So this is the new stress. <laughs> that's a long life. window of inspection. My yeah, goodness. Yeah, they couldn't be like, yo, for one hour, we might have to test the alarm. Like, like, no, for 12 you know hours. What? I got to talk to Mark Savelle about my property management because they're also like, oh, garbage shoots may be down for a few weeks uh, on for certain floors. For a few weeks. Yeah, I'm like, all what right. What are you supposed to do? Take your garbage I'm out? I'm gonna the just write an expose, anyways. Okay. Uh, all right, but well, yeah, yeah, you know, I, I was problems. Talk to uh, talk to JD. <laughs> Landlord talk. Um, oh, buddy. I uh, yeah, I was on JD Bunkus's show. Yeah. This morning. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was initially supposed to be at nine. Got bumped to ten. I was thrilled. Yeah. yeah. Nice. No, it was, it was a good chat. It was a good chat. You know. What did you guys talk about? Because uh... the the Raptors. Oh, okay. Yeah, I just about the the trade deadline and the, and the different directions, you know. Is JD on Team Tank yet? Oh, he's very heavily, how on, heavily on the tanking? Because there's different. Like levels. Heavily, he wants to rest the players. So 
like rest players and and just is, is he gonna move any of the players or he's just gonna rest them because that's gonna be hard to be like hey pascal you're having an all nba season can we rest well you the that's the, the thing year? we talked about too i'm like how do you approach guys like a pascal og and even fred in a contract year mm -hmm. yeah to to have those conversations well right? at least with fred you could be like listen we're gonna pay you this we're gonna essentially agree and then <laughs> yeah. you can rest we're gonna give you that dennis schroeder deal you know just no i'm just kidding. oh uh, he'll oh, be man. fine yeah. Fred will be fine. No, I think, and my pushback was, I think, yes, there is the appeal of of moving up and getting the top two picks that everybody is talking about. Right. But I, you know, you know, the Raptors front office and and scouting, you know, smartest guys in the room. Like, I, I think they've probably. This is what I said to JD too. Is like they've probably done their homework or they're still doing their homework, scouting, looking at... Oh, they're, at, they're scouting right now. Right, like yeah. looking at... If you don't see Bobby Masai yeah. around, they're, they're scouting right they're, now. They're putting together their own draft board. Their and, names are. <laughs> I would love to see the draft board. And there's possible they look at it like, hey, even if we're in the 5 to 10 range, there's a player there yeah. that we really like. So uh, because of that, we don't need to look to just tank and get mm -hmm. the full odds, right? Yeah. So, I mean, this would be consistent with how I think this front office has approached things, although they've never been in this situation, I feel like, in this era, which is another thing we talk about. They've I mean, never it, depends. Been... it depends if you count Tampa as, like, an actual season or not. Because in Tampa, but they've it, never it got been... so bad they lost every game for a whole month. Yeah, they've never been in a situation where you can look at every key player on the roster yeah. and say that there's a reasonable explanation of why you might move them sure which is the position they're in right you know and i almost think it's like a it's like a curse of being so kind of well managed that they have every option right like they have all their picks oh, yeah. yep. they're in a position where the roster can go either way mm -hmm. they have a young player in scotty they have a franchise guy in pascal it's almost like it's too many options yeah but i guess it's better than the lakers just dangling two draft picks <laughs> For eight months, begging for someone the to give them Buddy Heald and Miles Turner. The funniest thing with that is just like they're essentially saying you can't even scout for the 2029 first round. No, pick. they're like that there's a right fourth now grader is, out there. That kid is like in grade six at best right now. You know what I mean? Like, what are you? You're just essentially taking the, the odds there. I mean, listen, if people want to move in that direction, I think if, if the front office wants to move in that direction, they got to mm -hmm. do more time right now to just scout in terms of like you don't just tank for an arbitrary pick position you tank for like actual prospects who may be in that range you need to sort of get, gather that time right now to sort of see what those guys are and yeah man i mean you know it's you know this is a this is a key time this is why i i went down and i tried to you know tell people like hey we need bobby for the show and they're like hey bobby's busy with his job maybe after <laughs> post trade deadline you could get him and i'm like yeah fair enough you know he might be a little busy right maybe now. on on february 10th you know? but you know what they've been they've been busy with recently oh god Signing Joe Wieskamp to a 10-day deal. Oh, yeah, the big wheeze. The big wheeze. Yeah. All right, big wheeze. Flu game. Yeah. <laughs> Every time it hits a three, it's a flu game. Um, so I, I saw you Actually, had this in a rundown. That's not in this climate, but yeah. Uh, yeah, fair enough. Um, I, I saw... That this was in the rundown, yeah, big, and I was actually really overjoyed because yesterday, I happened to be... You know, like My partner was coming home late from work, and I was yeah. just cooking, and I saw that the options were to watch, like, I think the Knicks were playing the Bucs or something. I don't know. That man. was a good game. Was it? Yeah, yeah I, I, I didn't, I didn't even gamble and I watched You know, because you know what I watched? Uh. I went on, not even like, you know, the the main TV networks here. 
but I went on the like streaming link that the Raptors 905 tweeted out. It's just for free. Oh, okay. And I watched the Raptors 905 defeat the uh, Capital City Go Go. Th- that's right, right? They, they told Yo, the Go Go team's got great. <laughs> G League team's got great names, man. Yeah, I know. Um, Be- way better names. Than by the way, NBA. the two coaches in the matchup, because obviously we, we talked to Eric Corey earlier this season. I think he's like 33 ish. Um, the Go Go head coach was like 27. Oh, okay. Yeah, they're just redefining like who's going to be a head coach at this point, right? Yeah. Um, but I was watching this game mostly to see Joe Wieskamp and see what he's about. Right. Joe Wieskamp looks exactly like what you would expect it's, Joe Wieskamp to look like. It's actually genuinely exactly what you would expect. Yeah. The guy is, is wet when it comes to threes. Mm. Really, really good. Movement shooting, you know, catch and shoot. The, the, the arc of the shot is just very feathery mm. when you watch it. Are you describing Malachi Flynn right now? Uh, no. Oh, okay. uh and then when you watch him on defense, I saw this guy got ragdolled like three or four oh, times. Okay. And I'm like, I, yeah, he's not going to play for They did Nick not Nurse. post those highlights on, on the team no, account. No, but so. he can really shoot, though. He, he can really shoot. I don't know if he's actually going to play that much for the Raptors or if this yeah. is one of those things where you sign the 10-day, you give him essentially a bonus, go down to the 905. Who knows? Right. But ultimately, um, yeah, this is a conversation for Blake Murphy. I just wanted to make you nervous to, to initiate a Joe Wieskamp uh, Yeah, I'm always nervous. But I think, I don't know, if the bench is scoring seven points a night, that's uh, that's two Joe Wieskamp threes <laughs> plus a free throw. So, would it be worth a look? Did I pronounce his name right? <laughs> yeah. Um, I I don't know. Yeah. I mean, he would be absolutely the best shooter off the Raptors bench, especially now that Otto Porter is is is. We'll oh, see if Otto's yeah, yeah. there tonight. We're gonna go breaking down the arena. news. Is breaking it- news. Otto Porter is out tonight. He's on the injury report. Okay. Yeah, that's All a breaking right. news tonight. You really, you really do mean breaking. Um, oh God. Uh, by the way, Matt Devlin was listening in the first segment. And I know you and Coach David Thorpe were talking about Pascal playing at New Mexico State. Yes. And you guys didn't know what city he was in. He wanted you to know that it was Las Cruces. Right, which is just wild because I think he just texted you Las Cruces, no context, nothing. Yeah, I was like, Matt, was this message for me? Yeah, and apparently (laughs) it is. So I looked it up. Las Cruces, New Mexico. Okay, a little uh, geography lesson here. Second biggest city in uh, New Mexico, obviously, outside of Albuquerque, which I actually was stuck at one time. Coming back from the Raptors winning the championship. Man, we need the elevator music for <laughs> All right. this, um, Las Cruces has a population of 111,000, which mm. is interesting because New Mexico State, the university itself, has about 11,000 undergrads and uh, 3,000 postgraduates. Okay. And you got to imagine at least 1,000 oh. staffers. What is this so we're talking about man? like 15,000 people out of 111,000 are yeah. just in the university they alone. Just so, so Pascal, yeah. honestly, I, I, I want next time I interview Pascal, which I hope is soon, Maybe yeah. we make an all-star campaign. First we never time know. you interviewed Pascal. I interviewed Pascal back in <laughs> 2018. I was going to say, was this at Foot Locker too? <laughs> it was <laughs> this not guy, at This got JR, the new JR Manitad, man. He just posted up at Foot Locker. And nah, JR was in the front. <laughs> and I just waited for Raptors players to release shoes there. That's not what happened. But and I was uh, like, Fred, who would be your three-on-three team? That was a great, it was a, it was a great segment, man. Look at him. I know. Me, prime me prime Yahoo a, years, man. Yeah. Prime Yahoo. Yeah, my team was way better, by the way. My team was way better. I gotta yeah. say, I had oh, Pascal, man. I had Serge, I had Kyle. Nice. Um, oh, once again, couldn't get to the yeah. Pacers paying a, a fan five hundred dollars, but we'll save that for tomorrow. What, what would you pay? That's what's, a long. No, that's a longer discussion. For? That's a longer discussion. <laughs> what's the generational wealth report on five hundred dollars? I don't know. Generational wealth nephews are at the game again tonight. So oh, are you gonna we'll do the same in. treatment? No, no, because they're going with their basketball team. So I think they're going to get to actually watch near courtside before the game. Oh. And then they're doing some kind of okay. uh, anthem buddies thing. So they're standing in front of the players oh, during the anthem. Okay. So, um, yeah, so if, anyone sees my, if anyone sees my nephews, you know, courtside again. What do they look you like? Know, for PR, you know, I, I, it was not me. Like, I'm not involved. 
Now that I realize they're taking attendance. <laughs> they go take attendance on your family courtside. And now it's time for Between the Lines brought to you by Bet Rivers. It's a whole new game. Oh, wow. Toronto Raptors back-to-back home games against the Charlotte Hornets this week. Everybody calm down. No need to get to the arena four hours early here. The, the line oh, no, for tonight's... I'm not. I'm taking my grandma to see a, an audio specialist before the game. Oh, so. okay. Uh, the line for tonight's game, the Raptors are hosting the Hornets. The Raptors are eight-point favorites at home. The Hornets are one of the few teams with a worse record than the Raptors in the East, 11 and 30 on the season. They're six and 16 on the road. Kelly Oubre Jr. is out. Gordon Hayward is doubtful. Uh, Do you know something uh, that uh, the Hornets and the Raptors have in common? Uh, Neither of them have won more than two games in a row all season. I just want to put this Raptors season in context. That's all. So Raptors minus eight. Yeah. Um, I mean, look, I'm going to have to say that, uh, yeah, I'm going to take the Raptors. But, um, okay. yeah, I don't, I mean, it's hard to just like confidently pick them. I mean, look, listen, even just like on a matchup basis, I think the Raptors would do really well to guard this team. They have a lot of good pieces for it. Last yeah. year, I thought the Raptors actually had a really uh, good game against Charlotte when they played their big wings. Mm. Um, and they really switched and shut down a lot of Charlotte's pick and roll actions. Obviously, they play a lot through their guards. Um, and they were able to even impose their will and play a lot in transition because this is also a team that can get a little sloppy. The Raptors are obviously a team that can get up and down in transition. So, you know, the Raptors are either going to disappoint you a lot and drop a close game, or they're probably going to blow this team out. Okay. And, and I do think that they're closer to the the latter. So, so I would like take the Raptors, Raptors minus. minus eight. That was Between the Lines brought to you by Bet Rivers. It's a whole new game. Breaking news for real. Okay. The Raptors say Otto Porter Jr. has undergone season-ending surgery on his left foot. That's... Per Mark Stein. Yeah, I mean... Wow, my breaking news was 10 minutes early. uh, Yo, listen, watch back (laughs) on the show. You actually broke this in real time because our producer was desperately in our ear being like Otto Porter. Shouts to Derek Brandeo. Uh, That's our woge right there. It's too bad. The the signing didn't work out. Jennifer Rolnick is our shams. So uh, do you think we can get a second round pick from the deadline or no? Uh, second round pick. He has a player uh, in option. The G next League. Year. Yeah. No, come on. <laughs> he has a player option. He has a player How option. How many options there? has he been given this season? <laughs> well, oh man, I gotta delete that tweet where I said Otto Porter might be the best free agency signing the Raptors have ever had. No, this is really Jared Selinger 2.0. You remember Jared Selinger? Oh yeah, I remember the scooter. Yeah. I wonder who played more games between these two guys. Oh, man. So, Otto Porter. Listen, it's, it's too bad. It would have worked out, but it's it's too bad, yeah. I guess. Uh, we'll see. We'll discuss it more tomorrow. If he's around. But uh, that does it for us today. I've been your host, Will Lou, and you've been listening to The Raptor Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network. <laughs> Make sure you find The Raptor Show wherever you listen to podcasts. And subscribe, and please rate and review the show. Reminder, we're streaming live on Sportsnet's YouTube channel and airing live on Sportsnet 360, Monday to Friday from 2 to 3 p.m. Thanks again to producer and co-host Alex Long. Thanks to David Thorpe. Thanks to our board producer, Derek Brandale and Jennifer Olnick for helping us with the auto porter scoop. And uh, we'll talk to you tomorrow.